We're looking at Psalm 40. Rescued from the pit. Rescued from the pit. I'll read from verse 1. It's a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us ward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying. Oh my God. I had great ambitions to look at the whole psalm with you, but uh, it didn't work out that way at all. But anyway, may God bless the, what, the verses that we do look at this evening. Bless them to our hearts and our lives. Sometimes when I'm listening to people talking about how they became Christians, alarm bells start ringing in my head. 
That happens, for example, when they give the impression that they became Christians because their mum or their dad or both are Christians. Or maybe they talk about the time that they invited Jesus into their hearts. Or else they talk about that time that they made a decision for Christ. That kind of language leaves me wondering if they really understand what it means to become a Christian. I'm not saying that they're not Christians, but it does leave me questioning whether they really do understand what it means. Because most certainly it is not about extending an invitation to take up residence in your heart. Although it is fair to say that by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ most certainly does abide in the hearts of all true believers. We were singing that in one of our hymns, uh, when Jesus came into my heart. If you are a believer, by faith, Jesus abides in your heart. And thank God for that. How wonderful that is. But it's not about us extending an invitation to Jesus to enter into our hearts. In Psalm 40, we shall see that salvation from sin is not the consequence of you extending invitations to God. Rather, as a result of God working repentance and faith in you, you see your desperate situation and you cry out to God to save you from your sins. You cry out to God, that's very different to extending an invitation to God. Look at verses 1 to 3 in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Those, those three verses are open to various interpretation from the commentators, the Bible commentators, with some of them seeing them as being about David's own experience, whilst others see them as David speaking prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ, with verse 2 referring to God raising Jesus from the grave. And uh, without naming names, I would have to say that some of my favourite commentators take that view. So, how are we to to proceed with Psalm 40? Well, I can say with absolute certainty that further on in this psalm, in verses 6 through to 8, they are about Jesus. And the reason I can say that is because the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, confirm that verses 6 to 8 are about Jesus. But that doesn't mean to say that the whole psalm relates to the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For example, in Psalm 2, which we read at the beginning of this service, the first verses are clearly about the rebellion of wicked people, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us, as they wave their puny fists towards heaven and they speak of the Lord and his Christ. But then as you progress in that psalm, you read about the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of that psalm, we are instructed to kiss the son, lest he be angry. Okay? So we have to look at the whole psalm and and try and figure out what is being said by the psalmist. Who is he speaking about? And so on. Therefore, as we consider verses 1 to 3 in Psalm 40, whilst I will not dismiss the possibility that David was speaking prophetically about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I will nevertheless proceed with an understanding that David was recounting his own terrible experience. As we shall see in those three verses, there is much application that is... uh, for us, that is in line with the biblical teaching on salvation from sin. In verse 1, it is written that David waited patiently for the Lord. But that does not mean that he quietly and peacefully got on with his life as he waited for the Lord. Far from it. According to verse 1, David cried unto the Lord. And in verse 2, it is written that he was in miry clay in a horrible pit. So as I say, waiting patiently doesn't mean to say that he just got on with things quietly. What waiting patiently means is that even though David was in a terrible situation and at his wit's end, he nevertheless waited with a real hope that his cry to God would be heard. And it was heard. The Lord heard him and rescued him from that horrible pit. And presumably, he rescued him from certain death. Being stuck in miry clay in a pit can only lead to death unless you are rescued. Did you notice that David did not extend an invitation to the Lord? In his desperation, he cried out to God and the Lord heard his cry. Verses 1 to 2 illustrate a situation that is infinitely more terrible and it is one that everyone who has not already been rescued by the Lord is in. It is a situation that results in divine judgment and damnation because of our rebellion against a holy and righteous God. That is something that ought to concern all of us because all of us have in our thoughts and in the things that we say and the things that we do sinned against God and the wages of sin is death and hell's hell's destruction. Talk about miry clay and a horrible pit. You can't get any worse than death and hell's destruction. 
People don't realise that they are sinking deep in miry clay, in the pit of destruction. And that is because their understanding is darkened and their wicked hearts deceive them. However, if the Lord graciously alerts them to their desperate situation, then they do not simply invite Jesus into their hearts. Neither is their Christian profession based upon them having Christian parents. No longer do they justify their sinfulness by making dishonest and pathetic excuses for themselves. No longer do they blame others. No longer do they vainly imagine that even though they are sinners, their works will somehow make them acceptable to God. Instead, they acknowledge that they are hell-deserving sinners, they cast themselves upon God's mercy, and as they cry out to him to save them from their sins, the good news is that the Lord will hear their cry and he will save them. As it is written in Psalm 145, verses 18 through to 20, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Something that comes to my mind is when I was a teenager, I've recounted this um, experience before to you, but I find it to be most relevant. When I was a teenager, many years ago now, and long before I became a Christian, there was that time when I was lost in the woods. I took a most stupid time to go for a walk in the woods. And I, very soon after entering into some woodlands, um, it became dark. And I found myself in pitch blackness, darkness. I couldn't see a thing. I really couldn't see the trees or the bushes in front of me. Nothing. And as it turns out, it was just a very small woodland, but it, it might, may just as well have been huge. I was lost in the woods, and that's all there was to it. And I didn't fancy spending the whole night in the woods with the creatures of the night. And so, what did I do? I cried out for help, and I was rescued. Two people came to my rescue. I couldn't think what else to do other than to cry out for help. That was not a pleasant experience for me. And the natural thing for me to do was to cry out as I did. My cry was heard, I was rescued. But even worse than that, imagine if you were stuck in a building that was on fire. You couldn't get out. There was nothing you could do to rescue yourself. The building's on fire. What do you do? The firefighters are there on scene. You cry out for help, do you not? You cry out to them for help. Otherwise, it's only a matter of time before you perish. I don't imagine for one second that you would invite the firefighters to come and rescue you. You would just cry out for help. And you would hope that your 
cry for help would be heard. Being an unsaved sinner is infinitely worse. Far worse than being lost in the woods. It's even worse than being stuck in a building that's on fire. It has eternal consequences with both the body and the soul being destroyed in hell. As such, how much more should we cry out to God to save us from our sins? It goes without saying that an appreciation of just how sinful we really are, it varies from person to person, doesn't it? Even though young children have wicked hearts, where the Bible teaches that we come into this world as sinners, that's clear biblical teaching, nevertheless young children will not have been alive long enough to appreciate the depth of their depravity. Even as an adult, I have a keener of awareness now of sin in this world and of my own sin than I did when I was a little child and even more a keener awareness of my sin now than I did when I became a Christian all those years ago. And I'm sure tomorrow and the week after and so on that awareness will just become more and more in me of how depraved the heart is, indeed my own heart. Whatever the level of awareness of his sin, a truly born again Christian saved by the grace of God is someone who understands that he has been rescued by the Lord. Even that little child who really hasn't done too much wrong understands that he or she is a sinner before God. That is his testimony regardless of how old he is or how outwardly sinful he has been. Let's have a look at verse 3 in Psalm 40. And he have put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Coming back to my experience of being lost in the woods and being in complete darkness, can you imagine how I felt when I saw two torchlights getting closer and closer to me and finally seeing my two rescuers? I could have felt rather silly, rather embarrassed, you know, being stuck in the woods like that. Quite frankly, it didn't bother me at all. I was just so thankful to those two men who came to rescue me. That's all that mattered to me. And I was so happy and thankful to them. And what about the other illustration that I gave? The one about being stuck in a burning building and being rescued by firefighters. How would you feel if that was you? Would you feel silly? as you're being carried in a fireman's lift out of that building, or whatever, or stretch it out. My guess is that you would be thankful for the rest of your life to those firefighters. And you would have a very special fondness for them until the day you die. Yeah? 
in verse 3, having rescued David from the miry clay in a horrible pit, the Lord put a new song in David's mouth. About 500 years earlier, when the Lord rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he separated the Red Sea, thus making a corridor for them to pass through. Afterwards, the Lord closed the Red Sea on top of the um, Pharaoh and his army who were in hot pursuit, and he destroyed them. After the deliverance of the Israelites, Miriam, the sister of Moses, said, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. You can imagine how Miriam and the Israelites must have felt. They must have been so thankful to their deliverer, to the Lord. How much more ought the redeemed of the Lord praise him for saving them from their sin and from everlasting destruction in the lake of fire and setting their feet upon the rock? We read that in verse 2. Let's look again at verse 2. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And that rock is Jesus. That rock is Jesus. For he is the rock upon whom Christians stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When the Lord delivered David out of the hand of all his enemies, he said, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Dear Christian, how much more so should we, should we praise the rock of our salvation with thanksgiving pouring out of our hearts? the one who has rescued us from the miry clay in the horrible pit. Last of all, we can consider the rock upon whom Christians stand. Let's have a look at verses 6 through to 8. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. As I pointed out earlier, those words are prophetic and the New Testament confirms that they are about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6 we can see that even though God required animal sacrifices for sin, he did not delight in them. What God does take pleasure in is obedience. Not sacrifices, but obedience. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, the prophet Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey 
is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Those animal sacrifices could never take away sins. They were a daily reminder of sin and they pointed forward in time to the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he came into this world having made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a man and of a bondservant, and he was obedient. Remember, God, what God delights in is obedience. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he was obedient even unto the death of the cross as he bare in his body the sins of all who would trust in him. Finally, only yesterday, quite literally only yesterday, my wife Pauline, she asked me to listen to a podcast. She'd been sent it by someone that we both knew uh, when we lived and worked in India. We're going back 20 years or more now. Anyway, I listened to the podcast. And it was about a woman who would be about 30 years old now. And she explained why she is no longer a Christian. That woman, I know her from when she was a young girl at the school that I worked at in India. It's a, it's an international Christian school, evangelical school. And I remember her from her being at that school with her brother. Anyway, very soon into the podcast, she was being interviewed. The alarm bells started ringing in my head when she recounted the time that she invited Jesus into her heart as a little girl at that school in India. That's when the alarm bells started ringing. And the upshot is that she is no longer a Christian. She rejects penal substitution, namely that Jesus suffered the penalty for sin. She rejects that outright. Instead, she believes that Jesus was one of many holy men, one of many gurus whose work it was to point people to God. As for who God is, she now calls herself an agnostic. However, I hope you have seen that becoming a Christian is about you being graciously saved from your sin by God through faith in, the, in, faith in the incarnate Son of God, who willingly obeyed God's laws on your behalf and who laid down his life as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Having been plucked from the fire like a charred piece of wood, you now greatly rejoice in the Lord. Your soul shall be joyful in your God, for he has clothed you with the garments of salvation. He has covered you with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. 
Has the Lord put a new song in your mouth? And amongst other things, do you now sing, having been rescued from the miry clay and from that horrible pit, do you now sing from your heart, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen.